0: In the name of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know who George Stephanopoulos is? He currently is a political commentator, but in the 90s, George served in the White House under President Clinton. After he was finished with his service in the White House, he wrote a book about the experience. And something that I found interesting is he was describing how all of the staffers in the White House scrambled and scratched and fought for the best offices. Now you might think that the best offices would be the largest ones or the ones with the best view of the Rose Garden, but that's not the case. The best offices in the White House are the ones closest to the Oval Office. See, the closer you are to the Oval Office, the better chance that you'll run into the president, and so the more influence you can have on him. Even if it's just a closet, if it's close to the Oval Office, that's a good office. And you can understand why people in the White House would be fighting to get the best office. You can understand it not because you've ever served in the White House, but because you've experienced the same sort of thing throughout your life. From very early on, we want the best for ourselves. Even if, it's, if it means other people lose out. We want to be the favored child in the family. We want to be the favored student in the classroom. We want to be the favored employee at work. It's an attitude that stems from an elevated view of ourselves, and an unloving attitude toward other people. Jesus, this morning, is going to address this attitude very directly. This morning, Jesus will put us in our place. And the first way he'll do that is by pointing out our pride. Jesus, in our gospel lesson was having dinner at a prominent Pharisee's house. The Pharisees, many of you remember, these were the religious elite of Jesus' day. These were the men who thought they had it made. These were the men who thought God must favor us because of how carefully we follow not only his rules, but our own rules. They were in grave spiritual danger. And so Jesus told a parable to warn them about their pride. Jesus said, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Now, Jesus didn't tell this story to warn them about an uncomfortable social situation. He told them this story to warn them about a very dangerous spiritual situation. He was warning them about their pride. Pride is as dangerous a spiritual enemy as you and I will ever face. Pride destroys our relationship with God, and it destroys our relationship with other people. Just think, for example, of those men at that, din- at that dinner Jesus attended. Jesus watched as, one after another, they tried to sit in the most prestigious spot. And when they did that, what were they indirectly saying about all the other men there? You are not as important as I am. Pride makes me compare myself with other people in such a way that I come out on top. That's pride. Christian writer C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, Mere Christianity, writes this about pride. Now what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive is competitive by its very nature. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Nothing, my friends, is more dangerous than this attitude. Here's why. Once I believe that I'm better than someone else, it means that I think that at least to some degree I deserve God's favor more than they do. And now I've done it. Now I'm on the thinnest possible spiritual ice because I'm just one step away from thinking that I deserve God's favor. And if I deserve God's favor... I don't need anyone to earn God's favor for me. I don't need Jesus. How proud are you? Be brutally honest with yourself here. If everyone in this room sat down to sup with our Savior, where would you sit when it came to a place of honor? I mean... Surely you're better than some of the people here today, maybe a better Christian than most of the people here today. You worship more regularly, you pay closer attention during worship, you give more generously. Perhaps you've been a member here longer than virtually anyone else sitting in this room. That's got to count for something, right? Or, Or maybe you're very new here at Water of Life. And you're not stuck in the mud like some of those longtime members. I mean, you've got ideas, and isn't God lucky to have you here so finally something can get done and get done right? Do you see how devious pride is? If it can't get in one door, it'll get in another. Maybe when I asked where you would seat yourself if all of us were sitting to dine with the Lord, maybe you thought to yourself, I would sit at the furthest end of the table because I know myself and I know that I'm the least deserving to be with my Lord. That's good. If that's what you thought, that's a good start. But you're not out of the woods yet. Pride is still lurking at the door of your heart because you're just one thought away from thinking, you know, when he asked that, and I, I thought I would sit at the end of the table, that was, that was pretty humble of me. In fact, I, I bet no one else thought that here today. I might be the most humble person in this room. And just like that, you've become prideful. You've become proud of your humility. Humility. And that's just the way that pride is. It just finds ways to get into our hearts. It's like if you've ever had ants coming into the house. When we lived in Virginia, this was a common issue. Ants would find a way in. And it seemed like no matter how much we sprayed or how much we caulked, whatever we did, there were the ants again. That's what it's like with pride. And that's why we so desperately need our Jesus. Because we need his word each and every day to hammer down that pride that keeps welling up in us. It's a bit like that game whack-a-mole. Have you ever played that game where they've got the holes and then the little little, uh, uh, moles pop up and you've got a mallet and as soon as one pops up you whack it and you score points and then another one pops up you whack that one and you score points? That's the way it is with pride. We need God's word every day to whack down our pride because it's going to show up here in our heart, whack. Over here in our heart, whack. We need that day after day after day. We need his word to, to hammer that pride down because it's just going to keep showing up. Now you might think, well, then what's the point? If I have to keep battling pride the rest of my life and it's just going to keep showing up, what's the point? The point is, well, think of your garden. You may go out every few days to pull weeds, and then you go out a few days later, and what's there? Weeds. And you have to pull more. But what's the point? If you never pull the weeds, what's going to happen? They take over the whole garden. That's the way it is with pride. That's why we need to be regularly in God's Word, So that our savior jesus can use it to stomp down our pride yes it's going to keep popping up but he'll keep knocking it down that's why we need jesus to put us in our place and the first step is by making us aware that we have it right by pointing out our pride but it's not the only step if it were if the sermon ended right here, that'd be a kind of a miserable experience, wouldn't it? It would make life just one long trudge where we're constantly having to pound down our pride, and it's never going to get better till we get to heaven. But when Jesus puts us in our place, he doesn't just point out our pride. He sets us at his side. See, we come to Jesus with the knowledge of our sin and we come on bended knee begging him for his forgiveness and what does he do he lifts us up he says rise and stand those sins were carried to the cross by me even those sins of pride where you thought you were better than others or even good enough for me i took all of those sins and i had those pounded to the cross And they are gone. And when you were baptized, those sins were washed away. You were adopted into the family of the king of kings. You are my brother. You are my sister. Come here and sit at your appointed place next to me. In fact, that's precisely what St. Paul tells us is the reality. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says this. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. You have been given a place of honor at the Lord's table, not because you deserve it, but because he has earned it. So, we leave here today with our heads held high, not because we're looking down on others, but because we're looking up at our Lord. We leave here today proud, not of ourselves, but of our saviour. Martin Luther once wrote about it this way. Therefore, let us say to God, Oh, how gladly are we empty so that you may be full in us. Gladly am I weak so that your strength may dwell in me. Gladly am I a sinner so that you may be justified in me. Gladly am I foolish so that you may be my wisdom." Gladly am I unrighteous, so that you may be my righteousness. May this be our attitude, so that we can say with gratitude, Thank you, Jesus, for putting me in my place. Amen.